0: In Hebrews chapter 7, we'll be completing that chapter today uh, in verses 11 through 28. Um, I'd ask that uh, as you turn there, um, everyone stand as a recognition of the authority that the Word of God has over our lives. Starting in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You were a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of God. You may have a seat.
1: As I uh, walked off the stage for our mic check this morning, I joyfully and confidently declared that the cold weather must have scared away our microphone demons. It would now appear that I simply awoken them from their slumber. So, my apologies to Chris and everyone else. Um, so, we're back in Hebrews um, And if you've been tracking with us at all through this series, you know that the theme um, uh, of the series and of the book is Jesus is Better. Jesus is Better. Um, uh, Throughout this entire letter, the author is extolling the supremacy of Christ above all people, all things, all other religious systems. So that is sort of the banner that hangs over this entire journey that we're on in Hebrews. But in each section, this theme, this Jesus is better motif, gets expressed and applied in distinct ways. So for example, in chapters 1 and 2, the author talked about Christ's supremacy over angels. In chapter 3, he talked of Christ's supremacy over Moses. Later in chapter 4, he talked of Christ's supremacy over Joshua. Section that we find ourselves in right now, chapter 7, the author is making the case that Jesus is a better priest and ushers in a better priesthood than what they experienced under the Old Covenant. In our passage last week, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, was about uh, Melchizedek, this Somewhat mysterious, enigmatic uh, priest king from the Old Testament. And, and we kind of unpacked who he is and what he was all about. And that was foundational uh, in helping us understand how and why Jesus' priesthood is superior. Uh, but as I spoke with my fellow Hebrews preachers for this spring, uh, Jason and Scott, two other elders here, uh, we talked about kind of where we've been in Hebrews uh, and where we're going we decided it was prudent to begin this morning with an even more foundational question. And that question is this. What is a priest? What is a priest? It's a simple question, but it's a critically important question. We're not going to understand or appreciate how Jesus is a better priest if we don't first understand what a priest is supposed to be. And I know, you know those of us gathered here, we come from different uh, church backgrounds, different religious traditions. And so when we hear the word priest in a religious context, that has different connotations for all of us. And so when our author talks about priests, uh, what is he talking about? What is the category or the framework that he is working from? Well, put most simply, a priest is a mediator between God and his people. Okay? If you just want the, kind of the one-sentence answer, there it is. A priest is a mediator between God and his people. He's a go-between. He's a liaison. He is a bridge of swords. And this was an important and, in fact, needed role because of this simple reality. God is perfect and his people are not. And and so if those two entities are going to be in any kind of relationship together, uh, there's going to need to be some kind of bridge, some kind of uh, go-between, some kind of mediator to bridge that gap. So under the old covenant, God appointed priests from a particular tribe, the tribe of Levi, and a particular family from that tribe, Aaron's family, to serve in this role, to be priests. And in that role, their primary job was to offer sacrifices to God on behalf of his sinful people. And these offerings, these sacrifices, would at least temporarily atone for their sins, such that, again, this holy God and these Imperfect people could remain in some form of relationship together. All right. So that's what it is to be a priest in a nutshell. A priest is a mediator between God and his people, offering sacrifices so that a holy God can be in relationship with his less than holy people. And on paper, that arrangement looks great. And you might be tempted to believe, if you hadn't read the Old Testament, Uh, that this system uh, could work, but in reality, in practice, there were significant limitations to this system, and our author in Hebrews uh, highlights and exposes a few of the major limitations of this old system in our text today, and that's where I want to go next. What were the limitations of the Levitical priesthood under the Old Covenant. And there's two primary ones that this passage comes back to again and again and again. The first limitation of the Old Priesthood under the Old Covenant is that it was imperfect. It was imperfect. That's a consistent thread in this passage, the failure to achieve perfection in the Old Priesthood. The author explains it was an imperfect system because it was administered by imperfect people, right? You get that? It was an imperfect system because it was being carried out by imperfect priests. Remember, these priests were not appointed based on their excellent character or conduct or reputation. They were appointed simply because they were born into a certain family from a certain tribe. Verse 16 reminds us of this. It says that they were appointed based on legal requirements regarding bodily descent. That, those were the credentials. They just were born into a certain family. And like any family, you have some decent apples, right? You have uh, uh, Zadok, one of our church members is named after. Uh, he served as high priest under King David, was a pretty godly guy, had a good run. But you also had some not-so-decent ones. If you want to learn more about them, you could go to, for example, Malachi. He talks of these impure priests that offered uh, defiled sacrifices to God. And so you had some bad ones, you had some good ones, you had some in between. But here's the deal. Even the very best priests failed to achieve the moral perfection that the law required. Even the very best priests were weak, sinful, imperfect human beings like you and like me. As verse 27 in our passage reminds us, these priests needed God's grace and forgiveness just as much as those whom they were representing. So that's one major limitation that the author is bringing forward here. It was an imperfect priesthood because it was carried out by imperfect priests. The second major limitation that this passage highlights is that this old Levitical priesthood, it was temporary. It was temporary. It was not a system that was built to last forever. The reason? Well, again, it was administered by priests who were mortal. Even those like Zadok, who had a decent run, eventually died. And so for the common Israelite, under the old covenant, your feet were never on solid ground. This old priesthood left God's people awaiting a final, more secure, more permanent solution. And what our author wants us to see and appreciate is that that solution came through Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to consider next, how Jesus' priesthood is different and distinct from the priesthood that preceded him and how he overcomes in his priesthood some of the limitations of the prior one. So let's talk about that. In what sense is Jesus the fulfillment of this old system? Well, first of all, the author here wants us to note that Jesus' was not appointed through the traditional channels. Jesus does not come from the tribe of Levi, like the rest of the priests under the Old Covenant. He, in fact, comes from the tribe of Judah. All right, one, and this was a tribe that traditionally had nothing to do with priests. He talks about that in the text. Moses said nothing about Judah with respect to priests or a priesthood. And on top of that, we're told here in chapter 7, and we looked at this last week, that Jesus' priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. And this was a, a priest-king who showed up on the scene way back in Genesis before any of the tribes had ever been formed. All right, so this clues us in that there is something very unique and different and distinct going on here with Jesus and his priesthood which may lead his Jewish readers to ask the question, by what credentials should we acknowledge and affirm Jesus as our high priest? Again, this is a very different kind of thing. He comes from a different tribe. There's a very different paradigm at work here. And so that would be a fair question for the original readers to ask. Well, okay, why should we respect and affirm him in this new priesthood that's very different from what we've known? And he answers that question in verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read it for us. You can follow along in your Bible. This first part of the, the passage here sort of summarizes what I've just said, and then in verse 16, he really gives us the answer. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. An indestructible destructible life that's a powerful phrase that is pregnant with meaning and so I want to hang out there for a few minutes what is the author trying to tell us when he puts forth Jesus indestructible life as his credentials for priesthood I think there's two primary pieces to that number one He's highlighting the utter perfection of Jesus and his priesthood. As this author has already explained to us back in chapter 4, Jesus was tempted in all the ways you can be tempted as a human being. But he never gave in. He never sinned. Satan could not break him down. So we might say that Jesus was morally indestructible, something that could not be said of any priest who preceded him. And in living such a perfect life, he remedies one of the major limitations we talked about just a few moments ago, that the old priesthood was administered by imperfect priests. will not so with this new priesthood that is ushered in by a perfect high priest, who was and is without sin. Second, this phrase, his indestructible life, his credentials, it points us to Jesus' eternality. He's eternal. Jesus is eternal. Satan could not tempt him, and death could not hold him. Like other priests, he did physically die and go into the grave. But unlike every other priest who had ever lived, he rose from that grave and now reigns in heaven at the right hand of God. He was indestructible in that he could not and would not be conquered by death. And so because Jesus is eternal, his priesthood is eternal. Verse 24 summarizes this very succinctly. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So this remedies the second major limitation of the old priesthood. Remember, that system was temporary because its priests were mortal. Where this priesthood is permanent because Jesus is eternal. When it comes to Jesus' credentials for priesthood, the author offers uh, what I think is a beautiful summary in verses 26 through 28 of our passage today. Uh, Hopefully, I've done a little bit to prime the pump for us to appreciate this, but the author puts it better than I ever could. And so I just want to read it for us now. And as you listen, I invite you to soak in and, and bask in the perfection and the eternality of Jesus' priesthood. He summarizes in this way. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Perfect forever. Because of Jesus' indestructible life, Jesus' priesthood is perfect. And it will continue forever. That's what the author is trying to help us see and understand and appreciate here this morning. Which leaves us with just one final question uh, to answer. It's a question that uh, we try to answer on some level every week. Uh, So what? So what? It would be possible to look at this text and kind of this larger section about priesthood and how the old connects to the new and and say okay I can see it I can see how this old system had some limitations Uh, I can see how Jesus and his new priesthood uh, remedies those problems and ushers in something new and better and and that's all very interesting but so what so what what does any of this have to do uh, practically to the lives of his readers what does this mean for us So what? So what? And I love this text, or one of the things I love about this text is that it actually answers, I think, that question for us. And it does so at different points in slightly nuanced ways, but I think the clearest answer is found in verse 25. In the middle of his exposition, the author says this. Consequently, kind of getting at that okay what does this mean consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for them i want to read that one more time consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for them you see thanks to Jesus and this new priesthood he ushers in we can confidently and eternally draw near to God we can draw near to God that's what all this is about remember where we started with our definition of of a priest. What what does a priest do? A priest is a mediator who bridges the gap between a holy God and a sinful people. He's a go-between that allows those two entities to be in relationship with each other. Well, Jesus is that mediator par excellence. Because of his indestructible life and his sacrificial death, he saves us completely to the uttermost, as our author states, and he intercedes for us unceasingly. So any time that we feel unworthy to come before the presence of God, Jesus is right there representing us, interceding for us, reminding us that he did it. He did it. He lived the life the morally perfect, indestructible life that we as God's people were supposed to live. And he died the death that was supposed to be ours because of our failure to live that life. And he absorbed the wrath of God that absolutely should have fallen on us. He did all that. And so through faith in him, We're good. We're good. The pathway to God has been cleared. The curtain has been torn. The door has been blown wide open. Because of Jesus, this perfect high priest, who's offered a perfect sacrifice for our sins and ushered in this new, perfect priesthood, we can confidently draw near to the holy, perfect God of the universe. And I don't really know what more to say other than I hope that you are encouraged and emboldened by that truth. I really do. You know, we are are so good as human beings, um, fallible God's people. We're so good at coming up with um, different reasons why we can't approach God. We we sometimes doubt that uh, He's listening to us. Or we question whether He really cares about us. Or maybe... We feel so much guilt and shame over some of the things that we've done that we've sort of used up all our chances there. And the list goes on and on and on. We we generate these ideas and these sort of imaginary obstacles to fellowship between us and him. And what this author is reminding us is that thanks to Jesus, our perfect high priest and his perfect eternal priesthood, those obstacles have been removed such that no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, no matter what you might be facing in this life, you can confidently and earnestly draw near to God and enjoy His forgiveness and His acceptance and the hope that is found there. And so that's my hope for us, is that we would digest this truth this reality in a new way such that as you go forward from here you will more confidently draw near to him let's pray and invite his help in doing so Father um, Hebrews is an interesting book It really is, and there's all kinds of fascinating connections to explore uh, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Priesthood, the New Priesthood, all these different um, elements sort of uh, point to and foreshadow uh, the gospel. It's all very interesting, but I love love the heart behind this, and I love where this author takes us explicitly here in this morning's text. At the point of all of it, The point of the old system and the point of the new system was all building towards this, that we could be in relationship with you, that we could know you, that we could fellowship with you, that we could confidently draw near to you, trusting that our sins have been atoned for by Jesus and his perfect sacrifice on the cross. And so help us, Lord. Help us where we're weak. Help us where we still struggle Uh, to believe that that's true, that the pathway has been cleared, that the curtain has been torn, that that we can approach you intimately and confidently. Help us to believe that and to do that, Lord. And uh, I pray that uh, as a a congregation and as a faith family here, um, that we would encourage each other in doing that as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.